Good morning and welcome. I invite you to open a Bible with me, if you will, to the book of James near the end of your Bible. We're going to treat God's Word as a, a giant library this morning. And I need you to find the single volume in that library labeled James, the letter of James. We're going to spend almost our entire time together. In James, you need a Bible open or on and ready to follow along with us this morning. Thank you so much for being here on this beautiful, beautiful morning. We have a number of guests with us. Welcome. We're glad that you're here and we invite you to listen to God this morning. More than perhaps normally, we're going to just allow God's Word to speak as it has been preserved for us, for our learning. We need to hear from Him. He is the anchor of our soul that we have been singing about. He is the hope of the struggle in which we are engaged. He is our hope of an eternal home in a much much better place. And so we rest this morning on what he has said. As hard as it is for me to believe, four years ago, right around this time, we opened our Bibles to the book of Proverbs. And we considered what King Solomon would say if he were giving a commencement speech. Commencement speeches at times are a big deal, I guess, depending on who is invited. There are many who have to attend many of them over and over again. And from what I've heard, they very quickly lose their luster. But every once in a while, especially this time of year, different news agencies will publish a who's who list of influential and impressive speakers. And so yesterday I did a little bit of perusing. Boston College had this month, just a couple of weeks ago, the Prime Minister of Greece give their commencement speech. Columbia International University had Mike Pence, former Vice President of the United States. Dartmouth had new Denver Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson delivered their commencement speech. New York University had singer Taylor Swift. University of Maryland, Jeff Kinney, author and cartoonist of The Diary of a Wimpy Kid. We could go on and on and on. Different universities and colleges that are excited to share with the world. Maybe provide a link if you'd like a little bit of inspiration. This is what these influential and impressive in the eyes of the world men and women have to say to the youth of today as they make their next steps into this big exciting, sometimes scary world. I got to thinking here recently as an entire class has grown up since those last four years. Many of them weren't here four years ago. They have come to be a part of our church family in the last four years. And there's no doubt in my mind that if they were uh, quite a bit younger than they are now, they probably don't even remember King Solomon giving a metaphorical commencement address. 
The more that I followed along with our daily Bible reading schedule, we've been reading, many of us together, from the New Testament letter of James. The more I thought, well, this, this would be perfect. And so in many ways this morning, I, I just want to get out of James's way. And I want to start with you in chapter 1. We obviously don't have the time to read the entire letter. If you haven't been reading it with us, I don't know of anything you could do better. This afternoon or this evening or at some point tomorrow, you can literally read it in under 15 minutes. The letter of James. Because as impressive as it would be to have the prime minister of Greece deliver a commencement address or to hear from some pop star or some NFL quarterback or some famous author, recognize that as we give voice this morning to what's contained in this 2,000-year-old letter, we are hearing words written by the brother of Jesus. A brother who for a long time was not convinced that his oldest brother was in his right mind. We know from the Gospel accounts that this man who writes this letter had very serious doubts. There was a time that he was ashamed to be associated with this man who's going all over the place making incredible claims that if they were true, well, I don't know how they're true, and if they're not, I know that's blasphemy. But something happened in the life of this man that changed everything. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the Son of God? For James, it was knowing that his brother died on a Roman cross. Knowing where his brother was buried. And seeing his brother over the course of 40 days risen from the dead. Talking about the kingdom of God. And we thank God this morning that in accordance with His great plan, we can listen to what this brother of Jesus says to Christians of all ages. Whomever you are, how old you are, young you are this morning, every single thing that we read applies to you. And so let's start in James chapter 1. He's introduced in James 1 and verse 1 as a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. If he were giving a, a commencement address to the, this morning to graduating seniors from college or, or, or high school, how might he begin? He'd begin by saying, listen, trials are a part of life. And they can help you grow. 
Let's listen in. James chapter 1 and verse 2 where he says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. In, in our word picture this morning, he would look young people in the eye and say, Young person, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Realize, young person, your faith is going to be tested. Realize, older person, this week, your faith is going to be tested. Are you ready for that test? Will you meet that test with faith? Why do I have faith? I didn't believe Him. I didn't believe He was who He said He was, but I saw Him over and over again over the course of weeks risen from the dead. And that was enough for me. And I'm, I'm encouraging you to have faith because you're going to need it. Verse 4, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Young person, realize whatever you're able to take with you into your next steps, whether you're able to take a car with you or not, whether you're able to settle in the apartment or, or, or condominium or whatever it is of your dreams or, or, or you're living in the bottom basement corner of moldy dark student housing, you're going to need faith. That faith is going to be tested. But if you have your faith, you have everything you need to meet those trials. It's not faith in yourself. It's not faith in your own performance. It's not faith in your own wisdom or your own courage. It's faith, James would tell us, in my Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Trials can help you grow. I believe he would continue. Verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, emphasizing you need wisdom. It's easy where you are right now to think that you've got it all figured out. But you need wisdom you don't yet have. And I'm telling you, you need to ask God for it. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. What an incredible promise. It's not the sort of thing we're going to hear on various college and university websites as we look in on various commencement addresses, but this is the brother of the Lord guided by the Holy Spirit saying, you need wisdom and you should ask God for it. Verse 6, ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man. Unstable in all his ways. Trials can help you grow. You're going to need wisdom. You ought to ask God for it. Especially when you realize that your current situation isn't permanent. 
In verse 11 of chapter 1, the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Listen, he would say, I know it's easy to think that where you are right now is going to last forever. What you think you are right now is going to last forever. What you think you have figured out, your plans for the future, you think you know exactly how this is going to go. But riches don't last. And neither does poverty. Power doesn't last. And relative weakness does not either. Prestige and influence, we only hold it for a little while. Obscurity, it does not last. Even our own physical health, your situation isn't permanent. You're going to need wisdom for the next steps. And you need to understand, young person... That temptation is real. And it is more deadly than most realize. James' commencement address has taken a very real turn. In James chapter 1 and verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person, each person is tempted when he, we could just as easily say, or she is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth Death. Temptation is real. It is just as real as the lion and the tigers that your parents took you to see at the, the, the Louisville Zoo as you were growing up. In fact, it's, it's more real because you observed those wild animals behind some sort of a strong barrier, right? But you're not immune to temptation. Temptation is real. Sin's desire is for you. But we find on page 4 of our Bibles the call to rule over sin. Tests and trials can help us grow. We're going to need wisdom. Where we are right now isn't permanent. And temptation is coming. You cannot control it. Don't buy the lie that somehow you can hold this in your hands and it won't bite you. Don't believe the lie that somehow you can put this in a box and open it whenever you would like to open it and it it will not sting you. Temptation is more deadly than most realize. It can cost you everything. It can cost you everything in this life. It can cost you your life. Even more than that, it can cost you your 
soul. But you need to understand, whomever you are, young or old, that your Creator is good. And He has a good will for your life. Verse 16, do not be deceived. The reason phrases like that are in the Bible is because it's easy to be deceived. And many are deceived. And so the brother of our Lord says, don't be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. You might get a whole lot of gifts for graduation. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Listen carefully to verse 18. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Young person, older person, whomever you are, you are not an accident. You are not a coincidence. Your circumstances are not a, just a, a, a random happening that you happen to be without any real purpose. Of His own will, your Creator has brought you forth. He is good. He has a good will for your life. Let's get practical. James tells us. Every single one of us at times needs to talk less and listen more. Know this, verse 19, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word, listen, which is able to save your soul. You are more than a body. You have a God-given soul. And the Creator who gave it to you is good. And He has a good will for your life. But He loves each one of us too much just to put us here and leave life up to us. He's going to teach us how to live life the way it was meant to be. Speaking of talking, James 1 verse 22, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. I have a very strong hunch this morning that not one of you looked in the mirror first thing this morning and came exactly as you were when you first looked in that mirror. If you did, congratulations. I'd love to talk to you outside. 
Every single one of us looked in the mirror and we did something in accordance with what we see. That's exactly what he's talking about here. Verse 24, the problem is some look at themselves and go away and forget what they saw that needs attention. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts. Young person, you're going to have to persevere. It's not always going to be easy to look in the mirror, but it's good for you. It's not always going to be easy to do the right thing, especially when you're the only one where you look right and left, looking in the perfect mirror of God. But if you will listen to your good Creator who has a good will for your life, you will be blessed. Verse 26 don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. If anyone thinks that he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Verse 27, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Chapter 2 and verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Don't just talk the talk. Walk the walk. Don't show partiality based on how people look. That's chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. Don't just talk the talk about your care for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's chapter 2, 14 through 17. You're going to see needs. Don't just say, well, good luck with that. I'll be praying when it's in your ability to help. And sometimes it's not physically helping. Sometimes it's, it's not giving money. Sometimes it's just slowing down long enough. When you heard, you, you asked someone, how are you doing? And they say, fine. And you know they're not fine. But you got a choice in that moment. Do I just keep walking? Good. I'll see you later. Or do you say, listen, hold, hold on. It, it doesn't sound like you're fine. Is there anything I can do to help? Could we go over here in this side classroom and, and pray together? Right here, right now. Don't just talk the talk. Walk the walk, realizing as we get into chapter 3 that an entire harvest can be set on fire by an untamed tongue. You look at the end of this chapter, James chapter 3, verse 17. The wisdom from above. You remember, you're going to need wisdom and you ought to ask God for it. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. You see how God in His goodwill, can help us be His representatives in this world, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's the sort of people this world needs this week. That's the sort of people our community needs this week. That's the sort of people our homes and our, our marriages need this week. So let's not just read about it Let's, 
Let's recognize I need this wisdom. Let's ask God for it, understanding in verse 18 that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What a beautiful word picture that Young person, as you take these next steps into a much broader, wider, exciting world, an entire harvest potentially is before you. Who knows the places you will go and the things that you will do? But you know what could set that entire harvest on fire? Look back at James 3 and verse 5. Latter part of the verse. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. What's he talking about? Earlier part of the verse? Our tongues. What comes out of our mouths? Verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Does James have your attention this morning? Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. We, we sing to Him on Sunday morning. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The person who cut us off on Charlestown Road as we're just trying to get over to lunch. The person who inconveniences us tomorrow at work because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Perhaps the person in our own minivan. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Chapter 3 and the 16th verse of the chapter. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Young person, there is an entire potential harvest in front of you. Who knows what job or education, career, craft, lies in front of you. Who knows what relationships? Who, who knows perhaps what children could be born from a, a marriage relationship? Grandchildren, great-grandchildren that you might live to see. Who knows the good that you could do? Not just the sort of good that's inscribed on some plaque somewhere, but the good that is inscribed on some human being's heart. Who knows the good that you could do? But you know what sets it all on fire? It's when you don't control yourself. When you live with this rebellious, self-centered attitude that this is just who I am and everybody else can deal with it, it can set 
everything. It can set your marriage. It can set your family. It can set your career. It can set your life. It can set your soul on fire with the fires of hell. The war within you is serious. Listen in to James chapter 4 and verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, and so you do whatever you got to do to fulfill that desire. You covet, you do whatever you got to do to have it. You ask and receive. You fight and, and you quarrel. You ask wrongly because everything is built on and fueled by your self-centered passions. But do you remember how he reminded us that our God is good and He has a good will for our lives. And so in verse 5, do you suppose that it says to no purpose in Scripture? He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. He sees the mess that we have made. And what does He do? In verse 6, He gives grace. He gives more grace. For thousands of years, it has been preserved. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The struggle within you is real and serious, and it can cost you everything. But the grace that you need to win is available. Realize that the way you treat other people matters. Verse 11, don't speak evil against another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law. You're the judge. That's not my place and it's not yours. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor. Young person, perhaps James would say, if I, if I could just have a few more minutes of your time, realize you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. It's easy to think you do. Verse 13, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord. You don't know what tomorrow will bring, but you can know the Lord of tomorrow. If the Lord wills, we will live, do this and that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So let's not just talk about tomorrow, let's talk about today. Whoever knows the right Thing to do and fails to do it. That's serious. That's sin. And sin is more serious than most realize because the Lord of tomorrow is coming. 
And to those who patiently serve Him, He will be compassionate and merciful. Look at chapter 5 and verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 11, latter part of the verse. You've seen His purposes, the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Our God is good. And He has a good will for your life. But if you do not honor Him as God, there will be consequences. That is not the path to the good life. And so, young person, whatever you take with you, if you leave home, you go a long ways away from home, whatever you're excited to buy with that graduation money or that scholarship, whatever you're able to acquire as as just yours, That only you get to enjoy whatever it is that you take. Take prayer. Because James 5.16 tells us the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Listen, young person, you buy that nicest new laptop to use and the day is going to come that it doesn't work. You buy that brand new phone, shiny, crystal clear, the day is going to come when it doesn't work. You drive a new car out of town, the day is going to come when it doesn't work. You don't ever have to worry about calling out to God and prayer not working. It may not work the way you think it should. But the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Maybe as you sit through that figurative commencement address, It's easy to feel like, well, I would have liked to have known that back then. I I wish I had listened to that sort of input a long time ago. Maybe it's too late for me at this point. But before James concludes, he says, listen, we all know what it is to have a multitude of sins on our record. And we can't fake our way out of it. We we, we can't blame somebody else. We, We can't say, well, he or she or it made me do it. It's my record. It's your record. But out of all the ways James could choose to conclude this letter and this figurative commencement address, he says, listen, I didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God and He was my own brother. 
But a multitude of sins doesn't have to be the sum of your story. James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wondering will save his soul from death. And will cover a multitude of sins. Would you turn just a couple pages over in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2? I don't think that James's use of the word cover there is, is accidental. Covering a multitude of sins. It's somewhat obscure for us in, in English, but the word that he is using is, is the language of atonement. We hear that word in Scripture that Jesus is a, an atonement for our sins. All that that word means is a covering. The multitude of sins is real. Jesus covers that multitude of sins with His own blood. Nobody knew that more intimately than this man. And the word that is used in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 is a, a big P word that we don't use very often. We begin reading in verse 1 of 1 John 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the He's the propitiation. He's the atonement. He's the covering for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of all the world. And so whomever you are this morning, recognize that every adult you lock eyes with, every young adult you lock eyes with today, has on their record a multitude of sins. You're a sinner, you're in the right place. You have a multitude of sins, you've heard the right thing. But we want to make sure you understand as we stand in just a moment and sing this song that what distinguishes real life people in this room is they have a covering, the covering of grace, the covering of Jesus' blood. They have a multitude of sins just like you. But that's not the sum of their story because of Jesus. That's why this man who didn't even believe his own brother was able to say early on, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Young person, I don't know what sort of regalia you'll be able to wear, have worn in the past. I don't know what sort of medals or certificates or plaques or framed impressive papers you'll be able to hang on the wall. But I tell you with all of my heart, if you don't receive the crown of life, you miss it all.
And so we're going to sing this song, encouraging you to come just as you are. Because Jesus is more than sufficient. He's good. And He has a good will for your life. If we can help you in any way, would you let us know how by coming to the front of this room while we stand and sing together?